social media and reaching out to me via DMs, asking questions. I really appreciate the love and you wanting to make that change in your life for the better. That's always a positive boost for me. All right. So let's talk about this new credit system. So, you know, the, um, (laughs) Our society is just so weird and funny. Okay, so you know how basically everybody in society is judged by a score um, administrated by the Fair Isaac Corporation or something like that, right? And um, that score was created by um, Experian and the the other, whatever other company it is, to um, sell that information to banks to show... um, lenders eligibility to pay back a loan so credit is just basically um your credit score is basically how much credit can we give you and can it be paid back because our whole society is essentially ran on debt and giving people more debt and that's just how the united states turns yeah so well maybe the world at this point so, um, with this new credit system that debuts in 2019, lenders will be able to review your money management habits. What does that mean? So, they will know how many times you overdraw your account, how long you have your accounts. This is how the new score is going to be determined. Um, seeing if they are growing, your account balance has been growing over time, and if monthly deposits are occurring. So this is very interesting because, um, well, I'll get to that after I finish. All right, so not replacing the traditional FICO scoring, but will be used as an alternative for the scores, um, for people with scores under 640 or no scores at all. So there's a lot of people, especially younger consumers who don't have credit scores at all because they don't have any debt. So they can't have a credit score because a credit score is just your score and how well and how on time you pay back debt, how long you've been paying back debt, and how many different kinds of debt you have. That's all your score is based off of. So um, if your ultra FICO score is good, um, you will see a 20-point increase in your regular 
FICO score. And what they said that this is supposed to aim to widen the candidate pool because banks make money by writing people debt. That's just the base. That's the that's just the bottom line. No matter what they do, what they provide, the bottom line is they make money by giving out more debt. So they said that this they claim that this is supposed to widen the candidate pool, but what I'm confused is about uh, about it is a seventy five percent. I've read this on some website, but feel free to fact check. It says seventy five percent. But we know for a fact that most people in this country are living check to check. Um, so how would this new score affect them? How would they be able to, you know, start renting and actually get a property or, you know, make certain decisions um, that you need debt to start off with? You need credit. If you don't have a large pool of money to start off with, you have to take out a loan. You, you probably don't have $10,000, $20,000 in cash to buy a car up front. You're going to have to get a car loan, which has crazy interest rates. Um, so what solutions I've came up with with uh, for this ultra FICO score is I believe that um, if we're, we have to play this game, you don't have to, but... You know, if you want to achieve a certain financial uh, place and you need to buy a car, buy a house, so you don't have a certain amount of cash, you got to play this credit game. You got to know the rules to the board game and you got to line up your pieces. Um, so I would say to stop banking with a traditional bank. And move most of your banking to a credit union. I say this, I have Bank of America, but also have a credit union bank account. Um, bank of America, I keep that. I'm not really a proponent, a supporter of banks in no fashion. But as we said, we got to play the game. Um, but Bank of America is like the only bank that is in every state in this country. And I've been out of town before where um, I ran out of money and my mother... Uh, was trying to send me money, but I didn't have a bank <laughs> that was in the state that I was in. So it's important to think about those things in terms of safety, that you should have a bank that is available when you travel. Um, but outside of that, the reason why I say credit unions are advantage over banks, because most likely a credit union isn't going to charge you a monthly fee to hold your money. It makes no sense why banks charge you monthly fees to hold your money when they need your money to write the loans to keep this whole thing spinning. That's just absurd. And um, the like, okay, so if a bank has $100 in, in the bank, they're allowed to lend out $1,000 just off that 100 They don't have to have the money physically in the bank to loan it out. They can loan up to 90%. I believe that's the uh, the law that they can loan out 90% more than what they physically have. And because mostly currency, 97% of currency is digital, they can do that. But a credit union, you have to get away from the monthly fees because if you look over time with that $10 a month times 12 times 20, that's a waste of money. You're spending thousands of dollars over your lifetime on bank fees 
And money is supposed to grow. Money is a long game. This You can get lucky with the short game. We'll talk about that a little later. But money is more so for the long game. And it makes no sense when we're taking that 10-10. It might not seem like much now. But in the long game, you're losing thousands of dollars. And what a credit union does, most likely if you maintain a minimum balance, they'll pay you interest on your money. And not to forget that inflation is our worst enemy. Money depreciates in value by 2% every year. So I might have $10,000 in the bank, but if it's not appreciating in an interest-bearing account, it's losing value, meaning the price of goods around me are rising. So the the, the stretch of that $10,000 is lessened just because of inflation. So I would say definitely get into a credit union. So you can, credit unions are not really profit like a regular bank. The fees for overdraft, I know for Navy Federal was 20 compared to most banks overdraft. It's like $35, $36 or more. Um, and you need interest on your money, even if it's a half percent. Um, Ally, Ally, A-L-L-Y, bank gives you 1% interest on your money. So if you have $1,000, 1% of 1000 they pay you that monthly, and that's compounded. And that's better for growing money rather than losing money through inflation. You need that. You need interest just to offset inflation. So when we talk about the new credit um, laws, they said that you have to maintain a balance with the ultra FICA of $400. I just know that when I was broke, I couldn't even maintain a balance of 10 cents. So I don't, uh, I don't even know how that's going to be possible for some people, but um, that's where increasing your income comes to play. Like it's going to take a lot of discipline. I know like, a lot of the situations financially people are in or people can be in. But if there is a will, there is a way. Um, we can't completely collapse and not fight uh, for what we deserve financially. And that takes a lot of discipline, a lot of sacrifice. Um, there was a time in my life where I ate out five times in a year um, simply because I had bigger financial goals in play. And yes, I missed out on a lot, but no one is going to take care of me and my financial future like me, <laughs> you know? So I have to put myself first and I encourage you to put yourself first. It's a part of self-love, self-care. That's what we're working towards, right? All right, so income. You can ask for a raise. That's what one book <laughs> subscribe, I mean, um, suggested. What's this book? Uh, I will teach you how to get rich by Ramit Sethi. I don't really read. I skim. I need to get better at reading. <laughs> but, um, yeah, that, that's a good book, actually, to get started with. Um, freelance work. You got to increase your income. I talked about this in the past episodes. It's going to cost a sacrifice of time. But if... Investing that time now means you'll have more time later. Make that sacrifice. Um, somebody was telling me, Rob was telling me about medical trials. Like med medical trials, I've heard people coming up on bags on medical trials. But I say into on that at your own risk. Um, there was one he was reading off to me earlier this week where they pay like, was it 
$3,000 if you stay at a hospital for eight days. I mean, you can tell your job you on vacation. Um, I remember there was this famous movie director, like, he came up with $725,000 over a course of three years just doing medical trials, but that man was not right. All right, so, you know, just you're sacrificing your body and stuff like that. But, I mean, there's somebody out there that might be like, hey, that's an option for me. Take it. You know, but when it comes to freelance work and increasing your income, your main question you should be asking yourself is how can I increase my income by $100 a week? $100, that should be your goal. And when you first start out, you don't have to hit that. But, you know, um, at least try to see what you can do to make that. Um, So also invest in long term. Uh, they suggest that you do 5% of your income. So 2% long-term goal, like a wedding. They they put wedding. I'm having a party, all right? Like, I'm not spending a whole OD amount of bread on a glorified party when I can buy another property. That's just me. I mean, you have to celebrate. You have to have memories. But I'm a Capricorn. I'm cheap and I'm practical. So, um. So 5%, 2% long-term goal, 2% down payment, house, 1% vacation. Vacation is still important no matter what time it is in your life. You have to get away because vacations do wonders for your mental state and resetting. And we're not slaves. We don't wake up, live to work to die. You really have to take care of yourself. And that's what financial literacy and financial planning is about. It's the ultimate form of self-care on a financial level. So I want to clear something up because I keep seeing this stuff pop up on Twitter where somebody be like, would you rather have a million dollars or a perfect credit score? And everybody talking about the perfect credit score. Let me tell you something. If you have a million dollars, why would you need credit? I mean, if you have like, if you need to get a loan for ten million or a billion dollars, I don't know who's writing loans for a billion. I'm exaggerating that one, but I mean, if you need to get a loan for a project that's like ten million, have a million, I guess that's why you need perfect credit. But if we're talking about basic needs, right? Like a million dollars could buy you a house, a car, clear up your debts, and you should have enough money to invest that to double it. So it was like, why? Like, can you imagine Ally Bank? Well, I think the max on that account is. Well, it's private wealth management banks. Um, SunTrust has a branch where, you know, they, you know, if you over a certain um, amount of your account, they can offer other accounts to you. 1% on a million dollars? Isn't that $10,000? You can live off the interest of the money and still be straight. I, will, I probably would still be working. I'm going to work no matter how much money I have just because you need a sense of, of purpose. But, yeah, like you crash by a long shot is better than credit because credit is made up. Like <laughs> Credit is imaginary. For real, for real, cash is imaginary, but the way our society is designed, you need cash to hold value, to trade goods. That's how we decided to do things as humans. But nah, like, if you have cash, use the cash. Like, it's it's way better to have cash than to have credit, always, in my opinion, in my opinion. All right, so I also wanted to talk about 
mortgage loans to stay away from. As you out there, you're getting intrigued, you're doing your research. Um, there are different kinds of mortgages. I talked about them in episode one or two. Um, but yeah, um, there's mortgage loans you should actually stay away from. So most of you can remember the 2008 housing crisis that was mostly caused by the kind of mortgages I'm about to talk about. Arms adjustable rate mortgages. How adjustable rate mortgages um, work, it'll probably be called like 5-1 or uh, 3-1-7-1. You'll see like 5-1 arm, like you probably seen an ad would be like 5-1 arm. And it's basically just saying, um, what, what that means is that for five years, that upper fraction, that's the amount of time that the interest on the loan will be a fixed rate. And then the one after that, it will adjust every year. So the reason why this kind of mortgage started the, the um, housing crisis, the subprime mortgage housing crisis in 2008, is because the adjustable rate, that it, the part that adjusts, that interest rate, is dictated by how well the market is doing. So can you imagine having a loan for hundreds of thousands of dollars and all of a sudden your monthly payment increases by $500, $600 or doubles because the interest rate increases because the economy is falling? Like, you want a fixed rate because you know that your payment will stay the same for the entire term of the loan. And that's what you should be aiming for. Stay away from adjustable rate mortgages, if anybody. And they, you know, there might be some situations where people of color, bankers push those kind of mortgages on people of color. Like the 2008 housing crisis was blamed on blacks and Latinos for not paying their mortgages. But if you're not uh, financially equipped, which most of us aren't, and somebody just puts you a loan on you, you just focus on, you know, taking care of your family, getting the house, you know, um, that, you know, you can end up in a dire situation. So it's important that we learn from the mistakes of our past and do better and be better. So how an adjustable five-arm mortgage will work, like, let's say, you, um, you, you buy a house for 150000 right? You put 3.5% down, so the loan amount would be $144,750, Okay. So the interest rate, let's say the starting interest rate on this five one arm example is 4.5%. Let's say that's the fixed rate that's going to last for the five years. And this is just an imaginary example. On the past episode, I was talking about PITI, which is Principal Interest Taxes Insurance. Your entire mortgage payment is made up of those things. It's not just the loan you're paying. You're paying the principal, the interest, the taxes, which is the property taxes dictated by the state, the county, the town, and the insurance. You need homeowner's insurance, just like with a car. You need car insurance to get the loan. You also need homeowner's insurance to get the loan. Um, right now, I have my homeowner's insurance where all stays really cheap. It's like 50 something dollars a month, but it's wrapped into my mortgage. So for this example, I put $1,200 for property tax which is low compared to the area if you're in the D.C., Baltimore area. 
D.C. and Baltimore. You know, property taxes between those two cities are high. Um, $500 homeowner's insurance, okay? So with this example, $144,000, I'm just rounding, let me round it up, $145,000 loan, 4.5% on the loan, and the whole PT, the PITI payment would be $957, okay? So now let's say that 4.5%, that 4.5% interest rate on that loan becomes 10%. Let's say adjust because the economy's not doing so good, and it goes to 10%. So 10% of that interest rate um, on that same loan would make that $957 payment go to $1,472. And if, it, let's say, it went to 15%, it'll make that $957 payment go to $2,032. And that's not unheard of, 15% Rate interest sounds crazy to us right now, but in the 80s and early 90s, interest for mortgages was like at 15, 19%. So we don't know what the economy is going to do over, you know, 30 years or whenever the term of the, when the debt is paid off for a mortgage. And because money is a long game, that you, you don't want to get yourself into an adjustable rate mortgage. Stay away from those, okay? Um, so the last thing I wanted to talk about is budgeting. Um, I talked to, oh, Lord, my phone's ringing. You're supposed to be on silent. Oh, that's my contractor. I'm going to call you right back. All right, so um, budgeting. You can use everydollar.com. That's a great way to start out. You need to know what percentages of your income are you spending on housing, food, entertainment and everything else in your life. You need to be very honest with yourself. I know we like to run away from, you know, sitting down and being 100% honest with our money and our finances. But if you're trying to make a change, you have to. You have to sit down with yourself and say, okay, what percentage of my money am I spending on my income? I mean, I'm sorry, ooh, on my housing. So, you know, the healthy place is 33 to 40%. If you are spending more than 40% on your housing, it, you got to make a change. I know that might seem like a lot, but if you're living in a very expensive city, if your financial future is important to you, you have to keep it on your mind. I'm not telling you to pack up your things at this very moment and move, but know how that's affecting you in the long term. And have a plan with making a difference. And I know it's a lot to say we're young, you know, we're partying and stuff. But how can you cut the costs on, you know, things that necessarily like entertainment? If you eat out a lot, maybe it's time to eat in and invite friends over and have everybody bring over a bottle of wine. It's still a way to have fun and, you know, also be financially in mind. And you know, we're getting older. If you were born in the 90s, you know, you're already an adult now. We're getting close to 30 for some of us. So it's important that we keep those things in mind. Well, ooh, we had a solid 24 minutes. That is my time. Um, I want to talk about investments next episode. I've, I have my hands in everything. Gold, silver. Cryptocurrency, property. Um, I like to keep it diverse. So I'm definitely going to talk about investing next episode. 